0: Well, hey there everyone, I'm Daniel Hahn and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church and this is our podcast and I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. This may be one of those messages that's more for me than anybody else. Because over the last few months, and yes, I said months, not just weeks, I've been intrigued by the first chapter of the book of 1 Peter. If you watch my pastor's phone calls, you may have noticed that there are several of them from that chapter. Before we go any, any further, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask three questions. I'm gonna give you the questions first so you know which one you wanna answer to. And I know some of you are not going to vote for anything. I realize that. But uh, uh, these are the three questions. How many people here have been in church most of your lives? How many of you attended for years but did not grow up in church? And how many would say, I have a limited knowledge about the Bible and Christian life? Those three questions. Okay, how many people have been in church most of your lives? Okay, good number. How many of you have attended for quite a while but did not grow up in church? There's quite a few of those. How many would say you've got a limited knowledge of Christian life? Okay, there's a few. There's a few. Now, over the last several months, I've been reminded that there are many people that attend church that don't know about our Christian jargon. They don't know our vocabulary. And to give you a reference to what I'm saying, it's like me talking with Charlie or Daniel about computers. After about the first 30, 45 seconds, they weigh over my head. My grandkids, my youngest grandson, this nine, knows more about computers than I know. And I have to be honest, sometimes I get embarrassed. I get embarrassed because I know so little about computers. And as I was thinking that, I begin to think that some of you may be intimidated by the lack of your Bible knowledge. Now, if you were here last Sunday night, you know that I wouldn't have wanted to be up against those kids on the Bible quiz, I I wouldn't have wanted to been up went with them because they would make me feel embarrassed. What I'm telling you is we need to understand something. If you do not know, then this message is really, really, really for you. And you should not feel embarrassed because you don't know all there is to know about Christianity. And I know there's a few here that they got all the answers if you ask them spiritually. But I can tell you, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. Because the Bible is continually speaking volumes. It's a living word. But as I was reading this chapter, and like I said, it's been months, I believe it was even before Christmas. I've been reading this almost every day, one chapter. And I noticed that in this one chapter, it had so many biblical truths. So many that I've coined this chapter and I've named this message, Christianity defined. What does it mean to be a Christian? Wherever you are on the spectrum. Some of you are way over here. You don't know much. Some of you all over here, you know quite a bit. But I can tell you what, those that know quite a bit need to move here. And those that know a little bit need to move here because there's so many truths. So I want us to talk about this today, Christianity defined. In this one chapter, we see words that may cause some of us to say, I don't understand. Now, I'm constantly amazed at people that tell me that they've got it all under control. I'm amazed at people that tell me that they can explain the virgin birth. I'm gonna tell you that's bigger than I am. There's a lot of truths in the Bible that's beyond my comprehension. Why? Because his ways are higher than our ways, more than we can know. But in this book, there's words such as exiles. Some scriptures call them strangers. Foreknowledge, sanctification, obedience, the sprinkling of blood. And that's in the first two verses. After that, we see the words born again. Then we see salvation Living hope, and we can go on and on, and we will look at this as a chapter, as we see Christianity defined. So let's go to First Peter, chapter one. Now I know some people are very complimentary, and say, Pastor, we appreciate that you bring in a lots of lots of scripture. I'm going to try to focus on one chapter today. Now I've got a couple of verses that I have to bring in, but I want to look at first chapter. And this morning at two o'clock, I came to the conclusion that I couldn't cover it all today. So this is part one, (laughs) Christianity defined, Christianity defined. Peter, we all know who Peter was. Peter was the, probably the loudest mouth disciple. He was probably a little boisterous. He was probably the oldest disciple. He was the one that got recognized. He was a lot like me and Gator. We stand out in the crowd because we get a little bit loud and rambunctious at times. That's the way Peter was. And notice what it says about, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he gets right into it, to those who are elect exiles you're elect strangers. Some scriptures say you're pilgrims. This truth of this is that those of us that are alive in this world, we're pilgrims, but this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Notice what it says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion from Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, In other words, these were all of Asia Minor. They were Gentiles. They were not Jews. The great majority of them were Gentiles. Now, just for for clarification today, how many of you are of Jewish descent? Anybody from Jewish descent? That means everybody here would fit this. You're Gentiles. Because you're either Jews or Gentiles. And these were elected exiles. They were chosen. Well, who chose them? The same person that chose you. Says, according to the foreknowledge. There's a big word. What does it mean, foreknowledge? That means before you were ever conceived, before you were ever thought about, before you were ever born, God knew about you. He's telling these people, these Gentiles, speaking from a Jewish person, Peter was a Jew. But he said, you elected exiles that are scattered all over Asia Minor, you need to understand something that God, in his foreknowledge, God the Father, before you were ever born, he knew you. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me feel good. That God knew me. He knew me. And guess what? When he said he knew me, he knew me. He knows you. All your weaknesses... All your strengths, all that you ever hoped to be, he knows. And then it talks about then in the sanctification of the spirit. What's that word sanctification mean? Well, it means basically cleaned up, sanctified. You've been cleaned. But notice who did the cleaning, the sanctification of the spirit. Now, I can tell you something. There's a lot of good things that we can do. You can become a, you can be a drug addict and you can be cleaned up and you can be no longer be a drug addict. But guess what? Your spirit is not cleaned unless the Holy Spirit cleans it. You've just changed your lifestyle. You could have been an alcoholic, but now you're just a sober sinner. Come on, Okay. That, that's what it is. The only way we can be cleansed, Brother Brown, is when the Holy Spirit does it. And that's the reason I said, this one chapter talks about all these things he knew me before I was ever born. And the only way I can be cleaned up is through the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And then it says, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Wow. Obedience. All of us have different forms of worship, different styles of worship, and we can argue all day about what style is better than others. We can argue about what kind of music we like. We can argue about all those things, but I want you to just take note of this. And this is my opinion and you got perfectly okay to disagree, but the greatest form of worship is obedience. The greatest form of obedience or or worship is not how high you jump, not how loud you sing, but how much you're obeying God. Because obedience is what? Better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than listening, and listening is better than the fat of rams. In other words, you can give all your possessions, you can give all these things, but until you have learned to be obedient to God, you haven't accomplished a whole lot. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Now, look at this end of verse two. May grace... And peace be multiplied to you I like the New Living Translation It says may you have more and more of God's grace and God's peace how many thinks that's a pretty good idea to have more and more of God's peace now how does that come does it come because we get better and we earn more no grace and peace multiplied now the word for peace look this up it's kind of interesting the word peace of course, is course from the word Shalom but it means security safety, prosperity. And this is one of, the verses, one of the definitions I really like. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot. Wow. Did you catch that? Having the peace of God that passes all understanding, that we have that through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's when we say that the definition of Christ or Christianity defined gives us that peace of God that passes all understanding. Did you catch that? The tranquil state of assured of its salvation. Now, I grew up in the assemblies of God. I love the assemblies of God. Now I'm gonna go out on a limb here and just tell you something. That's my again, my opinion. If you're from the Baptist persuasion, you may be over here and say, once saved, always saved. And if you grew up the way I was, that you had to get saved every Sunday night. Amen. I'm gonna tell you, somewhere between the two is the truth. Okay? Because we need to have the assurance of our salvation. We don't need to be walking in fear that we're going to backslide and lose our salvation. We need to walk in victory and walk in the word of God and we can have the peace of God when all of our relationship, now if you're living in sin and the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, you need to deal with that, okay? You need to deal with that because I don't think God's going to let anybody walk away without the Holy Spirit and say, whoa, buddy. That's right. Come on, Pastor. Come on. So the assurance... Now, I know some of you say, well, pastor, we're all going to sin. Yeah. We're all going to sin. And you know what the book says? I didn't say this. God said it. If you're guilty of one, you're guilty of all. But we have to walk in his obedience and to walk in his spirit, to walk in his love, and to walk in his peace. And whenever I can walk in his peace and say, listen, God, I'm not as good as I need to be, but I'm better than I have been, and I'm headed for heaven. Amen. I'm going through this. So we need that understanding. And he said, I want your peace to be multiplied. How many would like to have your peace multiplied today? Oh, man, I would. How about grace? Mm. I love the fact that the Bible says that if I want to have grace, I got to give grace. That I, If I want grace, i got to give grace, and I'm glad i got a brand new batch each and every morning. Why? Because I need his grace to see me through. His grace is his presence. His grace is fresh and new every morning. It's his presence. It's his strength. It's his assurance that we have every morning. And then we come down a little bit further. It says he has caused us to be born again. Now, some of you have grown up with that terminology. Some people were like, Nicodemus, what in the world do you mean, born again? Can I go back into my mama's womb? That's what he ask. Can I be born again? So what did he mean? See, the word born again means literally to produce again, to be- begin life anew to change the mind thoroughly so that one lives a new life, one that is conformed to the will of God. You start over. I said you start over. That's what being born again is. A new person, a new creation that God has transformed us. And it's kind of interesting that that definition says to be transformed. Because the Bible tells us in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, we have a new way of thinking. And it says, then it goes on to say that by testing, he has caused to be born again, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A living hope. What's our living hope? Christ In you, the hope of glory. Now, sometimes we miss this because we love the empty tomb. Sometimes we miss it because we love the cross. Sometimes we miss it because we love Jesus being the sacrificial lamb. But Jesus died on Passover, becoming our Passover lamb. He died so that you and I didn't have to. Oh, what happened on sunday morning you say oh he was resurrected that's right he was resurrected but what was resurrection morning what feast did that celebrate the feast of first fruits jesus was the first one to be resurrected right. now i know say, wait a minute lazarus was others were resurrected yeah but they all died again right. when jesus was resurrected he still lives Amen. And when you and I leave these old dead bodies, these decaying bodies, and we're resurrected, guess what, we're gonna live eternally. That's our new life. It says we have an eternal inheritance. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, I I know all of us got a different concept of what heaven's like, but my book tells me I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into my imagination how wonderful heaven's gonna be. It's gonna be better than you can even imagine. So let your mind run wild because you've got an eternal inheritance that's better Better, better than you can even imagine. Now, when we get saved, the Bible tells us we receive the Spirit as what? As a down payment. We receive it as earnest. That's what it is. It's a down payment. We get the down payment of our eternal life when we get saved. But let's read on who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. Salvation, to be saved. Now the word salvation means deliverance, preservation, safety. So when we get the down payment, when we get saved, when is it paid off at the last day? Now, how do we know the last time? Because our eternal God, who was before time began, he set this world up with a time. How many of you knows that the Bible says that there will come a time when time shall be no more? So when you reach that place, that's when your salvation is totally, totally revealed because time shall be no more. But until that time, guess what? Until this time, we need to be kept by God's power. Time shall be no more. This says, in this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Now I know there's some people that tell you once you get saved, you don't have a thing to worry about. Everything's going to be hunky dory <laughs> that you'll never have any kind of problems. You'll never be tested. There's not going to, but this says in this rejoice for a little while, a little while if necessary. Now, why would say if necessary, because if you're strong enough Christian that God can know that you're strong enough Christian without him testing you, you may not be tested, but he can't trust most of us. (laughs) So we're going to go through some trials, various trials, different kinds. You know why? Now we need to understand something. Temptation does not come from God. I said, temptation does not come from, but it's allowed by God. And I know somebody asked me this a long time ago, pastor, do you think Satan can read our minds? And I said, he don't have to. We tell him more than he needs to know. We tell him way too much brother Brown. We give him glory way too much because he's not supernatural. He's not all powerful but he knows which buttons to push on you. (laughs) Why? Because you tell him, he is good. He's been practicing a long time, but it says in this rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, is it real? I know none of you have ever had anybody like this, but I've heard that there are people that'll tell you all kind of wonderful things until they put to a test. Have you ever heard of, had anybody that was an expert in everything until you start asking them something and you find out that's what their wife knew? They didn't get that. The genuineness of your faith that's more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. How do they test gold? They put heat to it to see if it's pure or not. So it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You believe in him and rejoice that is joy that is inexpressible. What, you know what that means? That means it's something that's beyond your ability to express. It's inexpressible and fill with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. That means the result of your faith, the salvation, of your souls. I know some of you say, well, you know, I'm not very bad. So it means I don't have to accept all this stuff. Remember the story of the prodigal son. That's one of my favorite stories because see, I don't know computers, but I know feeding pigs. And the Bible tells me in that story that the young man that had left wealthy, he had his inheritance, but he wasted it all. And now he was in the pig pen. Now, when I say in the pig pen, it says he was sleeping with the pigs. He was feeding the pigs. Now, you'd been not being Jewish, you may not understand it, but a Jew wasn't supposed to have anything to do with hogs. If I go back to Ezra, I'm going to take me some bacon because you can't buy it over there. (laughs) Jewish guy, he's not going to have anything to do with, but he was in the pig pen. I can tell you from experience. How many of you ever slopped hogs? Do you have to get in the pig pen to smell like them? The best that that son could do, because he was dead broke, he couldn't go buy any new clothes. The best he could do was stopped by the creek, the brook, the pond, and wash off. But I can tell you, if he did not smell like a pig, he would have been the first one that I've ever run across. They'd been sleeping with pigs that could just take one bath. the father looked at him when he was a long way off and went and threw his arms around him. He said, this is my son that was lost, but now he's found. That's what salvation is, is deliverance, perseverance, and safety. Let's read a few more verses concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about the old Testament prophets from Abraham to Isaac, all the old Testament prophets. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them. Now that's that might catch you by surprise. The Spirit of Christ is in them. You say Christ was not born until Christmas Day. No, that was when he became flesh. Because the Bible says in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the Old Testament, We did not have the functioning of the Holy Spirit like it is in the New Testament. We've been blessed. I said, We've been blessed. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were all in the Old Testament. But they were studying and they knew. And listen what it says. They searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. In other words, when they were writing all those things, they were writing it for the New Testament people, which includes you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to see. Now, this is where I need to go back and read a couple of verses out of Hebrews, because we don't quite gather that without this understanding. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, these all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were just passing through. But then it goes on, for people who spoke thus or speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland and if they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out they would have had opportunity to return but as it is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared them a city so all those old testament saints they didn't know as much as you know because we have the fullness of the scripture How much they know, don't have a clue. But they knew that they were not writing for themselves, they were writing for the ones that Peter was writing to. Those people that were still just traveling through, just going through. Then in Jude, Jude was an earthly brother of Jesus. I think it's kind of neat that the two people that wrote more about godly living and works was the earthly brothers of Jesus, James and Jude. Yeah, James the one that says faith without works is dead. James and Jude were not believers of Jesus until after the resurrection. But I can guarantee you, if Jesus would have had any sins, his brothers would have ratted on him. He been a goody-goody. They heard it all their lives. But notice what he said. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now, let me just put that a little bit cl- uh, clear for us to understand it. Jesus is going to bring the church, that's you and I, and present them to his Father, And he's not going to say, here's this bunch of no goods. He said, here they are, Lord. Without blemish, free from faultness, unblameable. These are the ones, Lord. And he's going to present them to him with with, with joy. Now that's kind of interesting because the joy that is referring to there. Is the oil of gladness. The same one that was referred to in Psalm 23, where it says, He anointeth thy head with oil. Your cup runneth over. The joy of the Lord, the gladness. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're living for, so that we can get through this life. Get through this world, knowing that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. He says, here they are, Lord. Here they are, Father. These are the ones that I've redeemed. And I can tell you, there's going to be people from all walks of life. There's going to be people from all nationalities, all colors, all shapes, all sizes, all denominations, and the only thing that's going to get us there is we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity. Christianity defined. We'll pick up there next week. Today's communion... Paul told the church, he says, every time you partake of communion, you do it in remembrance. Remembrance of me. Could I encourage you today as we partake of communion to remember all of these things we've said, And if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all your hard works, all of your trying to clean yourself up, will never amount to anything. It can only be done through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So before we partake of communion, would you just bow your heads in prayer? Holy Spirit, we ask you to minister today. Touch hearts and lives. Help this Word come alive. Help this Word speak to us as we can see Christianity defined. God, minister with every head by and every eye closed before we partake of communion. I'd like to just ask if there's anyone here today or if there may be several here today that you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, not saying you're a bad person. You've just never been forgiven of your sins and you'd like to be today. I'd like to just ask you to raise your hand high enough that I can see it. I want to pray with you and pray for you. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.